John chapter 18, we'll begin reading from verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them, which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. And our reading there, trust the Lord will bless his word to all of our hearts. Let us ask for his help. Our Heavenly Father, we do come once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come confessing that we are powerless, we are helpless in understanding Thy Word and properly receiving it without the Spirit of God enabling us. And so, Lord, we pray and we ask that You would fill each one of us with the Spirit of God you will enable us to know a message from the Lord coming home to all of our hearts. We pray that you will make me the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. Lord, that you will set a watch before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. You will help me to speak only that which exalts Christ, which honors Him. Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And draw your attention to verse 4 of chapter 18. That's where I want us to focus our attention this evening. John 18, verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? I have drawn your attention here because it is easy to simply glance over a text like this, understand what it says, and not truly feel the weight of what is being said. This text reveals that our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing full well all the suffering, agony, humiliation and affliction that awaited him went forth to endure it all for the sake of his people. In this scene, Jesus is about to leave the garden where he has so often fellowshiped with the Father to go to the cross 
where he will be forsaken by the Father. His hour, which he has been awaiting, has finally come. And he is ready for all that awaits him. By the end of this message, I want you to feel something of the weight of this text. I want you to get a fresh sight of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to behold and marvel at your Savior. This is a text that should humble us. It is a text that should cause us to sit in awe of what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. It should fill every believer with gratitude. Gratitude for the reality that He went forth to accomplish your salvation. I trust you can say with confidence when you read this text that He went forth for me. And so I want to speak to you from this text about Jesus going forth to suffer. Jesus going forth to suffer. And the first thing I want you to notice from this text is that Jesus went forth knowing every aspect of His suffering. Jesus went forth knowing every aspect of His sufferings. Our verse says, that Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon Him. Knowing all things that should come upon Him. And really what I want you to get a sense of here is His courage. Think about our Lord's courage here. Let the statement sink in that He knew all things that should come upon Him. And let me point out here that Jesus has already been suffering in the garden. In one sense, He has been suffering since His incarnation. His entire life has been one of suffering in one way or another. But He has now reached a distinct point in His sufferings. He has come to the very climax. And He is about to endure the wrath of God. He is now becoming sin for His people and is feeling the weight of all their sin being laid upon Him. By this point, He has already told His disciples in Matthew 26.38 that His soul was exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And as He was praying to the Father in the garden, Luke tells us in Luke 22.44 that being in an agony, He prayed more earnestly and His sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. But as this text shows, there was more ahead of our suffering Savior. And so let us ask the question, knowing all things that should come upon Him, what all is included in that statement? What all is John intending for us to understand by saying that he knew all that was going to come upon him? Well, there is there's much included in that statement. But I just want us to look at some of what is included. So if you'll turn over to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27, we'll begin reading from verse 26. 
Word of God says in Matthew 27, verse 26, Then released he, that is Pilate, released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to, vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots." And sitting down, they watched him there. Now take time. Take time to think about the fact that Jesus actually knew all of these details and more. He knew that he was going to bear an eternity, an eternity's worth of the wrath of God on behalf of his people, and he still went. He knew that He would be arrested, spat upon, beaten, insulted, mocked, humiliated, scourged, condemned, crucified, and eventually forsaken by His Father. And He still went forth. If you'll turn back to John 18. Jesus did not begin knowing at this point. He knew very early on what he was headed for. He tells us in Luke 9, 21 through 22, and he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised again the third day. So Jesus came to earth Not only did He know it during His ministry, but He came to earth knowing all that lay ahead of Him. But here, in John 18.4, just before these events take place, we are reminded again of the astonishing fact that He was fully aware. That's the sense of the word there, knowing. He was fully aware of what He had to face. How can you or I even begin to understand the significance of knowing all that was going to come upon Him and still going forth? Can you imagine being Jesus Christ and reading Isaiah 53 and knowing that's me? But He still went forth what love Jesus has for His people.
That's the first thing I want you to see from this text. The second thing I want you to see from this text. Not only did Jesus go forth knowing, but Jesus went forth submitting to every aspect of His suffering. Jesus went forth submitting to every aspect of His suffering. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? I want you to get here a taste of His humility. And I want you to imagine the scene here. Jesus goes forth from the inner part of the garden to meet this band of Roman soldiers and knows everything that is going to happen to Him. And most estimate that this band of Roman soldiers would be comprised of around 400 to 600 armed Roman guards, Roman soldiers. Not only does He go forth to meet them, He is able by a mere word to completely destroy these soldiers. That is made clear in verses 5 and 6. They answered Him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am He. And Judas also which betrayed Him stood with them. And as soon then as He had said unto them, I am He, they went backward and fell to the ground. Jesus here is displaying His power. Making sure that we're aware that He is going forth to meet them. They are not taking Him by force. And this is but a taste of what will happen one day. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians 2.10 that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we have here Christ displaying for us His omniscience and His omnipotence. The fact that He knows everything and the fact that He is all power over everything. He possesses all knowledge. He possesses all power. And yet, He doesn't destroy them. But submits Himself to the appointed plan of the Father. Paul tells us, Philippians 2.8, In being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In Acts 2.23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. This is something truly remarkable. This is Jesus Christ the Son of God, who knew all things that should come upon Him, went forth submitting Himself to all that should come upon Him, placing Himself under the Father's wrath according to the plan of redemption. And it is not insignificant that He makes the first move in verse 4 and initiates the interaction with the soldiers It says that He went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? He asked them a question to which He already knew the answer. Now I submit to you that by asking this question, Jesus is displaying His willingness and readiness to enter into His suffering at the hands of these wicked men. Jesus knew why they were there. He didn't have to ask this question But He stepped forward. 
He went forth to meet them before they had to seek Him out. And as A.W. Pink rightly pointed out, he says, quote, Once they wanted to make, take Him by force and make Him a king, He departed from them. John 6.15 But now that He was to be scourged and crucified, He boldly advanced to meet them. What humility. That our Lord departed from them when they wanted to make Him a king. But He went forth to meet them when they're ready to torture Him. And Jesus was not taken by these men in one sense. We could conclude that from reading this passage of Scripture. But He was not taken by these men in one sense. He offered Himself to these men, knowing exactly what they would do. And by doing this, by going forth and saying unto them, Whom seek ye, not only is He displaying His willingness and readiness to submit to His suffering, but also He is protecting His disciples. Christ here goes forth and draws the attention of the soldiers to Himself so that the soldiers will not harm the ones in His care. He makes that clear for us in verses 8 and 9. We're told that Jesus answered, I have told you that I am He. If therefore ye seek Me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which He spake, of them which thou gavest Me have I lost none. And what a picture we have here of our Lord Jesus going forth, drawing the attention of these soldiers to Himself. What a picture we have here of substitution. You see, these soldiers are the instruments of God's wrath. And Christ is absorbing that wrath for His people. How wonderfully He displays here the truth of what He said in John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is here laying down His life for His friends, doing what He said He would do. This kind of submission is displayed throughout the life of Christ. But it so crystallizes and, and fully blooms, as it were, as He goes through His passion. Can we even fathom what level of submission is displayed on the cross? If you'll turn back to Matthew 27, I want to point something out for you here. And just keep this in mind that Jesus knew all these things and submitting to all these things. As we read Matthew 27, beginning at verse 39. says Matthew 27 verse 39 and they that passed by reviled him wagging their heads and saying thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days save thyself if thou be the son of God come down from the cross likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said he saved others himself he cannot save if He be the King of Israel, let Him now come down from the cross and we will believe Him. He trusted in God, let Him deliver Him now, if He will have Him, for He said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with Him cast the same in His teeth. 
What restraint is displayed by our Lord Jesus Christ here? Can you even imagine how tempting it would be to make them eat these words? For Him to come down off the cross and make them eat the very words that they just said, if thou be the Son of God, if He be the King of Israel, and we will believe Him. What submission to His suffering. You can imagine what you would be tempted to do. And yet Christ, because He knew what had to be done to save His people, submitted Himself to it all. Do you feel the significance of all this? We are talking about God Himself, the second person of the Trinity, leaving His throne of glory where angels did His bidding and bowed down before Him in worship. He left that to come and submit Himself to suffering at the hands of the very creatures that He made. Jesus was never at the mercy of these men, but was always submitting to His suffering. He makes that very clear for us in John 10, verse 17 and 18. He says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. These sufferings were appointed for the Son by the Father. And the Son displaying the greatest act of condescension that has been, that has been or ever will be displayed submits to them. Knowing that it is the only way for sinners to be reconciled to God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That is the second thing I want you to see from this text. The third thing I want you to see from this text. Not only that Jesus went forth knowing, not only that He went forth submitting, but that Jesus went forth resolved to endure every aspect of His suffering. Resolved to endure every aspect of His suffering. As you read this text, it almost should should jump out at you the resolve of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? The implication in this text is that He went forth to endure. He is fully aware of all that will come upon Him. He is fully submitted to all that will come upon Him. And He is fully resolved to endure all that will come upon Him. Jesus is going to leave Gethsemane and go all the way to Golgotha. He has no intention of turning back but every intention of pressing forward, enduring God's wrath, and redeeming His people. 
as it is said in Luke 9.51, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And praise God. Praise God, at no point is he going to shrink back and decide it is not worth it. Despite everything that he will endure, can you even begin to fathom the level of resolve it must have taken for him to endure all that he suffered? The resolve it must have taken when he was being whipped with the cat of nine tails and the shards of material were tearing into his flesh. Or when he was gasping for breath while hanging on the cross, having his feet nailed to the cross prior to that, and he's now experiencing indescribable agony. And all of that, all of that was just the physical part of his suffering. Who can dare begin to imagine the torment of soul that he endured when he was forsaken by the Father? Yet through all of it, he trusted, he persevered, and endured for his people. And it begs the question, does it not? It begs the question, what would have motivated him to persevere and endure all of that? We are told two things. Love and joy. Love and joy. Ephesians 5.2 And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. As Christ also hath loved us. In Hebrews 12.2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Love and joy was His motivation. Love for His people and the joy of reconciling His people to God and sitting down upon His throne with a work accomplished. And so the next question is why me? Why me? Why did He love me? And the only answer we're given Deuteronomy Chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, because He would keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He did not set His love upon you because you're more in number, but you're the fewest, but because the Lord loved you. Really, 
when he boiled it down, it's saying, I love you because I love you. And beyond that, I don't know. How should we respond to this text? With all of that before us, Jesus knowing and submitting and resolving to endure, how do we respond? The first thing we are to do in light of this text is marvel at Him. Marvel at Him. That Jesus knowing went forth We are to marvel at His condescension as God. And we ought to marvel at His courage as man. The condescension of Christ, the most selfless act that there has ever been, the second person of the Trinity coming down to earth, taking to Himself a human nature and dwelling amongst His creatures. We are to marvel at that. And we are to marvel at His courage as man. Because this right here, this is the most courageous act that there has ever been. As one man rightly pointed out, I believe, this is the most courageous act in all of history. You think about history and just survey, just think of all the valor, all the courage and all the things that men have done in wars and all the rescue missions and all of these things and yet this right here is the bravest act that there's ever been. Jesus Christ going forth to rescue His people. We are to marvel. We need to ponder these things in our hearts because the danger The danger is to think that we get it and we don't. The very angels of God desire to look into these things. 1 Peter 1.12 And yet sometimes we can get to a point where we actually think that we have attained some kind of sufficient understanding of them, but we haven't. I doubt we ever will. Even in a glorified state, I don't think we'll ever be able to fully comprehend all that was involved in the condescension of the Son of God to redeem His people. So we are to marvel at Him. But also, we are to rest in Him. We are to rest in Him. Jesus, knowing all things that should come upon Him, went forth. He went forth and He endured it all and therefore we rest in Him. We rest in Him knowing that His love is sure. What greater act of love can there be than what you read right here? Jesus going forth for your salvation. And so we can rest in Him knowing that His love is sure. And you say, well, how do I know that He loves me? His love for you is manifested by His sufferings. And so when you you doubt the love of Christ, you go and you read Matthew 27. And you cannot fail with with the Spirit of God's help. You cannot fail to see the love of Christ for your soul in all that He endured. And you say, well, 
You don't know what I've done. I've grieved the Lord. I've, I've caused Him to be displeased with me. Well, thankfully, the Lord has told us concerning the very disciples that would forsake Him when He went forth for their salvation. We're told in John 13, 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. He loved them unto the end. Jesus knew exactly what they would do. He knew that all men would forsake Him. That Peter would forsake Him. And He loved them unto the end. And so we can rest in Him knowing that His love is sure. Because He did not, when they forsook Him, He did not forsake them. And we rest in Him knowing that His sufferings are sufficient. We rest in Him knowing that His sufferings are sufficient. He went forth and endured all so that He could say in John 19.30, It is finished. Nothing left. There is not one ounce of suffering left for the believer to endure for the salvation of their soul. Christ went forth and endured it all. And that, right here, we must all daily rest there. But that does not mean that we will not face suffering in this life. So the final, the final thing we should do in light of this text is follow Him. Marvel at Him. Rest in Him. But follow Him. Follow Him and be prepared to suffer for Him. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, He said to His disciples there in verse 20, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted Me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept My saying, they will keep yours also. But, the, but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Now, persecution is not something we should desire, but it is something we must face. We are not to pursue suffering, but we are to expect and endure suffering in this life, not for our salvation, but because it is for God's glory, and he has deemed it so. And so, we ought to follow our Lord Jesus in His courage. We ought to follow Him in His humility. We ought to follow Him in His resolve. And you say with me rightly, but how? How can I ever do that? How could I ever follow this? How could I ever follow this man in these things that he did? In his level of courage and humility and resolve. It is easy to say, follow Him in these things. But it is much harder to do. And let not any of us think for one moment that our sufficiency for suffering is in ourselves. You see, Peter thought that he was ready to suffer 
for Christ. But he soon found himself denying the Savior who is at that very time satisfying the wrath of God upon Peter's sin. And so, let every man that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. But the wonderful thing is, that we know that later on, Peter would be given grace from God to go forth to his own appointed death. In John 21, Christ tells Peter, verse 21, 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Peter, from that day forth, could have been anxious about his death. He could have been anxious about his death from that day forward. And yet that is not the impression we get from the record of the Acts. Peter is bold and ready to face whatever persecution may come for the preaching of the gospel of Christ. In Acts chapter 5, we see that. We see Peter doing this very thing in Acts, in Acts chapter 5, verse 28. The chiefs of the Pharisees saying, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses of these things. Now what, uh, what could have made Peter go from denying the Savior to proclaiming Christ and telling the very men that crucified His Lord we must obey God rather than men. What else but the grace of Almighty God could give that man that ability? So for him to be able to say later on in that same chapter of Acts 5 in verse 40, it says, as they give uh, consent to Gamaliel, and to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And so Peter would later write, 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Is that not the motivation behind this following of Christ? behind this readiness to suffer for Him when He calls us to it? Is that not the motivation in Romans 8.18 where Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, whatever they are, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so from the lowest to the highest degree of suffering, 
This wonderful Jesus who has so suffered for us is worth any suffering that we may face for Him. And if Peter was not enough, the Apostle Paul is another example of God working the same grace into a believer. Grace that will enable us to endure suffering for Christ. You see, the Lord tells Ananias in Acts 9.16 concerning Paul, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, we could read this and and imagine to ourselves that nobody else ever knew what sufferings lay ahead of them. We could read it that way. But here we have Peter, his character of his death being revealed to him. And yet he doesn't let let it hold him back from preaching the gospel in the face of sure persecution. Knowing that any, any time he could have his hands bound and led away to die. And neither will the Apostle Paul. For the Lord said, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And what does it mean that the Lord showed him? I'm not going to be dogmatic of how much Paul knew. But to some degree, that means that Paul knew the character of the ministry, of what his ministry would look like. And later on in Acts, Paul would be told what awaited him if he went to Jerusalem. He's told in Acts chapter 20. Rather, we're told there in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now, Paul speaking, Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul could have reasoned not to go to Jerusalem. He could have reasoned and come up with reasons why I shouldn't go. But Paul knew that his going forth to Jerusalem was for the glory and honor of Christ. And that's what he says in Acts 21.13. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am not ready to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He knew that by going there, it would give more honor and more glory to Christ. And so by the grace of God, these men did not shy away but stayed the course and fulfilled the ministry that the Lord had for them. I want to ask you, as I ask myself, would you do the same? Would you do the same? If God revealed to you the afflictions and sufferings that lie ahead, but also showed you that it would ultimately be for His glory and honor. Would you go forth and face it for Him? These men, Peter and Paul, they had specific callings. 
Not all of us are going to face the same degree or even the same kind of suffering. But we will all face suffering for Christ in this life. And that suffering can take on many different forms. It is not just persecution. Several weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a man who has a relative who has a terminal illness. And what he told me about this man greatly encouraged me and challenged me. This man had been given this terminal illness, undergoing great physical suffering in hospitals constantly and going through all of this. And yet, he was full of joy at the fact, as he recounted to this man, I've been able to preach the gospel to more people than ever. By the Lord giving him this infirmity, it was like he, he took away uh, the tape over his mouth. And in the hospital, he's, he was just witnessing left and right and preaching the gospel to as many people as he could. What a mercy from God. What a mercy from God. May it be so for any of us when we face our own suffering that we can see beyond it by faith to the glory of God. And so how do we follow Him? We pray. We pray for the grace necessary to endure the suffering that is appointed for us, whatever it may be. Let us pray for the grace necessary to follow Christ when it is easy and when it is hard. Say to yourself, if Christ suffered so severely for me, then by God's grace I can. When the time comes for the sake of the gospel, suffer for Him. Our chief end must always be for His glory. As He went forth for us, let us go forth following Him. Let us pray. Our merciful and gracious God, we come in the light of Thy Word, begging for the grace that we've just been speaking of and thinking upon, the grace that we each need to follow You in this life. Lord, we're weak. And we're feeble. We need Thy help. Oh Lord, we pray that You will enable us to go forth each and every day preaching the Gospel, witnessing for Thee, showing the joy of the Lord and ready to face whatever may come as a result of that. Lord, help us. 
But we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.